All right. But we are in Matthew 20, if you want to turn there. Matthew 20. And though we got all these difficulties going on, and um, a lot of uh, my friends are preaching today on Christ and the coronavirus, we're just kind of going to keep going with our series that we were already going with. And we're going with this series, we're in a series about our core values. And we're just going to stick with that series until it's done. We have a few more weeks left. Because we have about six core values at our church that we want to be true, that we want to be evident uh, to all who come in, that we want to make up our culture. And so we've preached through a few of these core values, and we're going to preach through a few more. We've talked about gospel authenticity, that we want to be people who are real, uh, because Jesus has already exposed who we are and that we're loved anyway. And we talked about gospel generosity, that we want to be generous. We've talked about gospel love, that we want to be people who love because we've been loved. Talked about gospel saturation, how in our, in our personal time with Jesus, in our corporate time with Jesus, we make it all about Jesus and his gospel, and we're saturated in it. And today we're talking about gospel service, which I do think, funny enough, goes along with the things that we're facing right now. So today, one of our core values, teaching through it, is called gospel-centered service, or gospel service. And we've had a uh, we define this, we had a little definition for this. This is in our core values statement. But how we've put it is this. We do not see the church as somewhere to be served, but somewhere to serve. That's, that's a core value for us, is that we don't want the church to be a place where we consume, but rather we want the church to be a place where we contribute this is the idea, that, that, that really we're not aiming to have a church service or a church life where people come and then go and say, I loved it. That's great if you did, but it's not the end of the world if you didn't, because that's not the goal, for you to love it. The goal is a, a church, a place, a people where you come and you love it. Not where we showed off, you liked it, so you'll come back, but where you served. Whether it was easy, whether it was hard. And so you honored God, you loved your neighbor, and you lived out your Christian life here in the context of the church. We want to be a place that is not just known for, and, and I mean, I think this is probably pretty obvious because we're not super flashy here, right? A lot, of, a lot of church services today are streaming online, and we cannot figure out how to do that. We're like, I don't know, what's that? What is that? You got that? You got that on your phone? I don't know. I got the Android. You got an Android? What do you got? I, right? We, we, we don't even know, right? We're like, well, maybe we could just write the sermon out and send it as a letter. That'd be cool. And in three weeks, when you guys get it, you'd be really convicted when the coronavirus is over. So anyway, point being is we're not that fancy. Our goal is not to be fancy. We're not trying to get bigger. We're trying to reach our neighborhood. That's the big idea for us is neighborhood, neighborhood, neighborhood. Serve the neighborhood, Okay. Okay. The goal is for you to come and to serve. The goal is not to be served. It's not the goal. Now, if you're a new Christian, we want to serve you. You're a non-Christian, we want to serve you. You are hurting, we want to serve you. Don't, don't think there's none of that. Okay. But as far as we, we can, as we mature in Christ, we want to contribute, not consume. A good question to ask on this topic, I found, 
a convicting question for all of us, including myself, is what would the church be like if everybody contributed the same amount of energy that you do? That's a convicting question, isn't it? Would the church change the world if everybody contributed the energy you contribute? Would the church reach the neighborhood if everyone contributed the energy you contributed? Would the church be a safe place for those addicted if they, everyone contributed what you contributed? Would the church be a place that helps end the sex slave trade if everybody contributed the energy you contributed? Would we be able to tackle the poverty that's all around us? Average household income in our neighborhood is a little over 18000 a year for a household. Would we be able to tackle some poverty issues if everybody contributed the energy, the service that you contributed? We want the answer for all of our members to be yes. We want to be a place of contribution, to give up, to give out, and to serve. This is what Jesus wants for us. In fact, this is what Jesus said to us in Matthew 20, 25 through 28. Matthew 20, 25 through 28 says, But Jesus called them unto him, said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. They exercise authority upon them. Right? You've got to watch out for people who are always trying to be in authority. Right? If authority is thrust upon you in your position, exercise it with grace. But if you're always seeking to be in authority, something's wrong. Something's, if, you, if you want power over influence, something's wrong. He says the, the, the people who don't believe, they're just, they just want the power. He says and that's not how it's going to be among you. You're not going to be a people who consume. He says, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even like me, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Now what he could get this world, but what he could give to this world to give his life a ransom for many. Do you see in this text the call for Jesus' disciples to be people who serve? Serve. Now, to get through this core value and to kind of expand on it and talk about it, one thing we got to do is define it. That's the first question we're going to ask this morning is what is service? What is serving? And a simple I'm sure that you could figure out on your own or with a quick Google search would be this. Serving is when we use our energy. So it could be your talents, abilities, resources, spiritual gifts that have been given to you by the Holy Spirit. It's when we use our energy to attend to the needs of others for the glory of God. It's when we use whatever we got in our tool belt, whenever we got at our disposal to meet a need that is not our own for God. We're serving God by serving others. This is the idea. Now, what we're not talking about here is customer service. Okay, That's the, There's an important part of this definition, for the glory of God. So we're not talking about like customer service because customer service is great, not always, but sometimes you're talking to a robot who can't understand you. And even though you put in your social security number and pushed pound, they don't think it's right because their system is wrong. Anyway, point is, customer service is not always great. But here, even if it is great, customer service is, is defined by the word customer. They get something out of it. You're paying. You're get, they're getting something in return. right? So a bad example of what we're talking about when we're talking about service is like AAA. Now, AAA is great. 
especially for a guy who locks his keys in his car constantly, like me, right? And they will come tow you out of a ditch, but you pay for a membership, right? You fund it. They get something in return. What we're talking about is like when I was 16, when I was 16, I drove this crazy old truck, very old, blue, rusty, mostly rusty truck, Ford Ranger, called it the Danger Ranger, and everyone was in danger. My friends all, I remember this the other day, I forgot about this, my friends all spray painted their names on my truck. I'd be driving down, you know, 465 there in Indianapolis, and you'd be like, Stephen, like, it's just, everybody was, I had them all do that one night outside of a place called Cheeseburger in Paradise, so my teenage years were insane. Anyway, so, you know, they all spray painted their names on the car, and I had this crazy ghetto truck, and I remember one I was in Indiana where I grew up, and it was snowing real bad, and it was after school, and it was even after after school, so it was like after a program after school, so it was like 4.30, 5 o'clock, sun is setting, it's getting dark because it's winter time, and I'm driving outside of the parking lot, out on uh, the road there, and it was really slick, and my Danger Ranger weighed <laughs> probably about as much as I do now. I mean, this thing was small, and it slid out into this pretty good-sized ditch, and there was a teacher named Mr. Philbrick. Mr. Philbrick was driving home after a long day's work, and I could see why a teacher would stop and be like, hey, 16-year-old, are you alive? Good, call your mom. Like, I could see that. Okay, but Mr. Philbrick stopped his SUV. He got out his own chain. He whipped it around my, I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know. I just stayed in the car in the heat. He whipped it on, got it on the back of my car, on the back of his SUV. We're talking icy roads. He took a risk for himself and drugged me out of the ditch on his own time, on his own wear and tear for his car, and I was home safe. He didn't get a raise. He didn't get teacher of the year. He didn't get applause. I probably said thank you, but I didn't have anything else to offer him. That's service. He gave of himself his energy for the good of someone else. See, motive plays a huge part in what is truly service. I mean, if I'm up here teaching, but I'm teaching for my glory, I'm not really serving anyone but me. Right? Motive plays this massive part in this. Sometimes service isn't even so much about what you do, but it's about who you do it for. Right? Like if, if you serve, I mean, if you give your body to be burned, Paul says, but it's not out of love, it's nothing. It's not even service. However, if you do something as small as present, just show up. If you do something as small as show up for the glory of a great God, then you've served a great deal. Because even the ways we serve that the world or the human eye would call small, if it's for a big God, it's a big deal. So motive plays this huge part in it, like the Good Samaritan who helps the Levite and uses his own money to house him and to bandage him for nothing in return. Jesus says, that's loving your neighbor. That's what serving is. So have you served? And do you serve? If everyone contributed the energy you contribute, what would the church be like? Now, I do think, by God's grace, all glory to God, we have a church full of servants. I am so proud of you guys. I'm encouraged by you. I love you. I'm for you. I'm pleased. I love it. I see people serving all the time, and I love this. I love this. I don't even know how all of you serve. 
Like once in a while, someone will tell me, this person did that, and I wouldn't even know if no one told me. Or this person always does that. I wouldn't even know. I mean, I don't even know. You're doing stuff for the church, and I don't even know. And I like it like that, because I'm not supposed to. It's really not about if I know. It's about that God knows. But it's true, we got a lot of servants. But I will say this, though I do want to give us, you know, a little bit of encouragement, because I think we do serve. We don't serve as much as we ought, Like, a lot of times when it comes to this idea of service, we can remember the times we served, but we like to forget the hundreds of times we could have served, but didn't serve. There's a lot of chances to serve where we don't serve. You know, before this virus hit, there were a lot of people who needed help. Now, this highlights it to be sure. I'm not saying it's nothing. I'm just saying we could have all come together as a community long before this, but that we miss opportunities to serve all the time, don't we? Why? Well, because service, this idea of gospel service, it goes against everything that is natural in us. It goes against the flesh, like 100%, directly against the grain of who we are. Part of it is because of our own sin, but part of it is because we too have needs, and that's legitimate. Some of you, perhaps, walk here today with dozens of legitimate needs, Some maybe walked in with hundreds of legitimate needs. And I want you to know, we got your back. As much as we can, we're here for you. By God's grace. But you do, you have legitimate needs. Now, if you think about it, this is kind of trippy, but if we all were serving, then someone would be there to meet your needs as you're meeting the needs of others. But since that's not the case, it is hard to decipher on when to serve others because we got so much that needs done ourselves, right? We got a whole list of problems to solve. Why solve someone else's? We got a whole list of errands to run. Why run someone else's? We're in our own ditch. Why drag someone else out of theirs? That's the idea. Why would we do this? Well, I'm glad you asked, even though you didn't. I asked for you. Why do we serve? Well, we serve because we've been served. This is not service. This is gospel service. This is a response. We respond to service. The proper, the the natural response to the good news, to the gospel, is to serve. And man, when I say that, I'll tell you this, when I say that, I am reminded of just how totally different, I mean, how polar opposite our faith is from every other faith. I mean, every other religion at its core is that God is almighty, serve him, and he might serve you. And then you go to the gospel, and it's that God is even more almighty than you ever thought, but he served you before you lifted a finger. He served you without you earning a, a stitch of it. He served you before you were even a thought. He serves you. And now you're free to serve him. We do not serve to get love from God. We've been served and loved by God. And as a response, we we serve. God serves us. Nobody serves quite like Jesus. It takes a billion of us or two billion of us across the globe to make up the one body of Christ. He is so great, phenomenal, uh, surpassing all. He is so powerful. His service is uh, just unmatched. Nobody serves like Jesus. 
Nobody could. John says at the end of his gospel, if we were to write down everything he did, the world couldn't contain the volumes, right? Jesus served sinners. Jesus served outcasts. Jesus served tax collectors. Jesus served prostitutes. I think about how he served the thankful leper. I think about how he served blind Bartimaeus. I think about how he served Jarius' daughter. I think about how he served the thief on the cross, I think about how he served us, like our text says this morning, when he gave his life a ransom for many. We had a need. We were damned in our sin. The wrath of God surely to fall upon us, and yet in the love of God, the wrath was taken away and absorbed on Jesus. The Bible tells us this. He is the propitiation for our sin. Hallelujah. He jumps on your grenade. He has paid it all. It is finished. He didn't do this because you had somehow impressed him, deserved it, earned it, or pulled his love down. He let his love flow out of his goodness and servitude. He has served us in his resurrection, opening the door for our sure resurrection for all who believed. Now, you know this, Jesus washed feet. He washed men's feet. Just think about that. No, don't think about that. Don't think about that. Now you have to think about it. That's how thoughts work. Don't think about it too long. You won't go to lunch. He washed men's feet. But here's what I don't think we realize. I don't think you get this. I don't get this. I personally do not. He still is washing feet. You know, Jesus didn't end 2,000 years ago. He ascended. 2,000 years ago. So like, he's still up to all this stuff in a kingly way, in an omnipotent way, in an omnipresent way, in an omniscient way. He's still washing feet. That's like still what he's up to. He has served you all week. You're here, you're breathing. He has served you all week. He took care of you this week. He attended to your needs this week. He is giving you help this day. He will never stop. Hebrews 13, 4, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When he came back from death, he cooked the disciples breakfast on the seashore. John 21, look it up. One of my favorite passages. He he comes back from death. Someone needs to cook that guy breakfast. Like, hey, good work. What can I get you? And he's like, Simon, the guy who just denied me, Thomas, the guy who just doubted me, all of you who just fled, come on. I got a fire going. We're going to have some fish. He eats with his disciples, has conversations with them. When he comes back a second time, he does the same thing. He serves us a meal. Did you know this? And when I read this, I mean, honestly, I'm being, I jaw drops at this. That apparently, I'm not a revelation expert. There is a lot of metaphor. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of things we could say. Here's what I will tell you, that this is real, that this seems exactly what the Bible's saying, that upon his return, there will be this idea. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's ever heard of this? Marriage supper of the Lamb. You ever heard of this? Okay, I don't know everything about it, but here's what I know. This is what Jesus said. Luke 12, 37. Blessed are those servants... Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. 
Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself. He puts on an apron. He makes them sit down to meet, and he will come forth and serve them. When you finally see the mercy you've received, the service you've received, when you see your faith become sight, face to face with Jesus, you, you think, man, we bow in adoration. Imagine some of that will happen. You'd think he would sit and we would all bring him food. He girds himself. He puts on the chef's hat, sits you down at a table he made up, and brings to you the meal he prepared where you sit at peace. He'll never stop serving us. Jesus, to this day, he will serve you for eternity. And here's the idea of our response, is that there is no way to receive such service and be so selfish. That's not a category. Now, you could be a non-Christian and serve people, but you cannot be a Christian and not serve people. I'm sure there are people who don't know Jesus who serve someone. Here's the idea, though. If you know Jesus and don't serve someone, something somewhere has deceived you because there is no possible way that you can be served at such a great level, undeserved, and then think that your time is somehow your own. But God's time wasn't his. We serve because we've been served. It is good to know Jesus. It is good to be served by the king. It is, we are filled with joy at the thought of his thoughts towards us. So we think about others. It is the natural response to the good news. And this is all good news. Jesus even goes so far as to say, he'll know who are his based on service. In fact, I want you to see this because it's such an intense text. I don't want you to think I'm making it up. Look at Matthew 25. Look at Matthew 25. Turn over there. It's five chapters away, so it won't be long until you get there. Matthew 25. I want to read this to you. This is verse 31. We're going to go all the way through verse 46. We're going to read this because I, I want you to see this. This is in the scriptures. Jesus says we'll be judged based on our service. You'll know if you receive the service of Jesus based on the service you give out. That'll be your indicator if you've responded to the gospel with belief or disbelief. Look at Matthew 25. Let's start in verse 31 and just check this out. This is from Jesus. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Everyone will stand before Jesus. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall take the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king, Jesus, he'll say to them on his right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You get eternal life. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and yet you visited me. In prison... And you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and you drank? When did we see you a stranger and took you in or naked and we clothed you? Or we saw you sick or in prison and we came to you? And the king shall answer and say to them, Verily I say to you, Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. 
Your service to that, that was to me. You served others, that was serving God. We serve God by serving others, and we serve God because God served us. He's not saying you get into heaven via your works. He's saying here's how you know you believed in Jesus' work, is that you repeated it with your life and followed him. And if you didn't, verse 42, verse 41 rather, then shall he say to those on the left, depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. Stranger, you took me not in, and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, you visited me not. Then they shall also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you? Hungry, thirsty, naked, stranger, all this. And he says, when you did not do it to one of the least of these, you refused me. You did not do it to me. And they will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. Right? Jesus says this. Listen, why do we serve? You won't even have to ask the question. If you've been served by Jesus, a natural outpouring of service will come. If you haven't been served by Jesus, you haven't received and accepted his service, you will be stingy and selfish. Your judgment will be able to be rendered perfectly based on your service. And so as Christians... We check our heart, we check our soul, we check ourselves. Are we serving? Because that's a good indicator of where we're at with the service of Jesus and the salvation he's brought to us. I'll tell you another reason we serve. Serving is true greatness. Look back up at Matthew 20, if uh, if you would. Turn back a few pages, Matthew 20. Look at verse 25 and 26. Maybe even down to verse 27. He says, Jesus called unto them, said, You know, the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, trying to get all this authority heaped up. Verse 26, but it shall not be so among you. You guys are not going to be all worried about who's in charge, trying to get power all the time, power grab. That's not my disciples. He says, but whosoever will be great among you will be the minister. Whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. This will be greatness, those who serve. It's natural to want great. That's normal. When I was young, I was a dreamer, man. I was like Walter Mitty. I had the greatest imagination. I don't know where it went. I don't know, with the invention of YouTube, imagination, I just went out the door. But I used daydreams. I would get in trouble for not focusing all the time. And I'd just be waiting for everyone to leave me alone so I can continue these epic sagas in my own mind. I had an awesome imagination. Seriously. I was like... I was like a little J.R.R. token or something. I mean, I could just come up with anything. Making my own languages up, fighting invisible bad guys in the backyard with my dad's weed clippers. I mean, it was crazy. And let me just tell you, whenever I daydreamed as a kid, I daydreamed about being great. When I was a middle schooler, I got a skateboard. I daydreamed about not just being a skateboarder, being the best skateboarder. Jumping over the moon, evil Knievel. When I, when I was in high school, I got a guitar. I didn't dream about being a guitar player. I dreamed about being an A-list celebrity, a rock star, which I was well on my way to doing before I got saved. And I could still jump back into that career, backup plan. I, I could be a rock star. I, do, I can. I can do it. I don't want to do it, though. No time. I don't think I'm going to do it. But anyway, I want to be a rock star, man. And when I met Jesus, I was 17, I wanted to be a preacher. I didn't want to be just a regular preacher. Now I do, okay. But when I first got saved, man, I wanted to be Billy Graham. I wanted to pack out the stadiums. I wanted to be like the best preacher, the biggest name ever. When I was 17, I mean, I've been dreaming about this stuff. Coming out of a limo in a suit, walking up to some park, 4,000 people. 
I was gonna, that's what I wanted. I'm like, that sounds really stressful. I'll be out in Pomo if you need me, passing out tracks, okay? I don't want to do that. I did major in evangelism. Turns out I hate to travel. Terrible OCD, don't like planes. Could you see me living in an RV? No. I'd rather live in a Starbucks. Right? Dream about being great. And some of you, I mean, you're dreaming about being great. This is what's going on in the text. I mean, that's the, that's the context of the text is James and John take on this classic guy role where they're, they're, they got their mama, mama coming to Jesus. Hey, can they sit on your right hand? Remember, they thought Jesus was going to be like the next Herod or the next Caesar, which is weak sauce compared to what Jesus is, king of kings. But they're like, hey, when you're up in Herod's seat, can he sit next to you? Mama's asking this. And Jesus is looking at these two boys, and he's like, can you drink the cup I'm drinking from? And they're, of course, the classic guys. They're like, yeah, yeah, we can. Right? Jesus actually nicknamed these two the sons of thunder, which I think proves Jesus had a sense of humor. I think he's teasing them because they're all talk, big talkers. And when Jesus actually was drinking out of his cup, they ran off. He goes, can you drink my cup? And they said, oh, yeah, we can, we can. They wanted to be great. So Jesus takes the time to teach him a lesson. He goes, you guys want to be great men? Then you become a servant. Some of you are men, but you're not great because you're not serving anybody. Our society, as you can well tell, has the most insane, unbiblical view of masculinity. We have no clue what a man is. Let me tell you what a man is. Okay, When I was younger and I went to church, I remember... At this church I went to when I was a kid, I remember there was a guy in his 60s, maybe 70s, who was fully handicapped mentally and physically. He was like a vegetable. And he had the brain of probably about an 8-year-old boy, though he was in his 60s, 70s maybe, could not walk in a wheelchair, and he could barely talk. When he did talk, he was basically about an 8-year-old. And there was another guy in the church who was also older who would pick that dude up, bring him to church in his wheelchair, him, getting that thing in the van, getting it out. That's not some easy task. He would wheel him to a pew, and when it was time to sing, you know how they all have you stand? I don't really know why we do that. Like, is it, why do we, I, I'm cool with it, but you can sing sitting down. Jesus isn't like, oh good, they're standing. <laughs> now I hear them, right? But anyway, I don't know why I thought of that. Forgive me. Edit that out. Anyway, I guess I just, I'm lazy. <laughs> I want to sit. But anyway, you know how you stand to sing. So you got to get the hymnal out. This is Baptist church, right? No screens. We don't have screens, not because we're Baptists. We, we don't have the money. But anyway, you know, the idea is you got to get the hymnal out. This dude would take the handicapped guy who has, he has no ability on his own, and he would put his arm under his arm and hoist this handicapped guy up. And he would hold the book right here, and they would sing together in that, in that position, embracing one another. This he can't barely sing. I mean, he just makes noise, a joyful noise. He can't even really sing. And here's this guy at his church. He never has a normal Sunday morning. He's always just taking care of this guy, hoisting him up to sing, sitting him down, hoisting him up, wheeling him out. You say, what's that called? That's called being a man. Amen? Amen? That's what men do. Women do it too, but the text is James and John trying to be the man. Women do it. It's not that men have to do it, women don't, or there's some difference, we're equal. It's just the idea. That's what we really need. 
That's true greatness. Imagine a church of men like this. Imagine a world of men like this. That's what masculinity is. That's what being a man is. This is true greatness. Serving. I want you to understand that if you want to be great, there's great news. Become a servant. When you become a servant, you become great because the greatness of God flows through you. Jesus said in John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say to you, He that believeth on me, the works of my Father he shall do, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father. The service works of Jesus will be multiplied in us. Jesus fed the 5,000. We can feed more than 5,000 because there's more of us. This is the idea that when we serve, God does great things through us. Say, why do we serve? Because when we serve, God uses it to do great things. No one has had the impact on this world that serving Christians have had. Serving Christians have made more of a difference in the last 2,000 years than any other group, organization, government, country, bar none, by far. Christians have served this world and God has done great things through them. Christians have served more people by way of medical care than any other group of people. Some hospitals still bear their denominational name. Historically, Christians have served more people needing education and literacy than any other group worldwide. Christians have pioneered things like orphanages for those without parents and nursing homes for the elderly to stay in more than any other group or system. Christians who are serving were the first social workers like Jane Addams out in the 1800s became a Christian so and the first social worker. Christians have been ready and willing to serve more via adoption and foster care than any other group. Christians have served the homeless tonight. Even millions of homeless people across the world will have a place to stay because Christians are somewhere serving. Reentry programs, we love people who are in jail. We love people who are getting out of jail. We want to help them, bless them, and get them back to normal. And so Christians all over the place serve in reentry programs to get prisoners back on their free feet. Thousands of addiction recovery programs. We love the addicted. We want to be friends and, and, and helpful and, and, and beneficial to them. Lots of addicts recovering because of Christians serving in programs. We have the biggest disaster relief record of anyone. The news will tell you the government's on it. The news will tell you that some nonprofit, secular nonprofit is on it, and that's good. But what they won't tell you is often the churches are on it way before all that. The, the, the Christians serve the disaster and famine, cleanup, relief, hurricane, earthquake, reconstruction more than anyone. God has done great things through lowly Christians who call themselves servants. And as we close the message, we come to this question, and that is, what are you going to do? If everyone contributed the energy you contribute what would be done? That's the question of our morning because our gospel value is we want to be a, a gospel-serving church. My, my, my exhortation or application or whatever you want to call it would simply be you need to seek. You need to seek a place to serve. You need to practice because serving is not always easy and it doesn't always go well. Sometimes you serve and it is not fun. Sometimes you serve and nothing happens. Sometimes you serve and you did not solve a problem and you just need to keep going at it. You need to pray that God would open your eyes to how much you've been served and stir you to serve. You need to ask where you can serve. Ask me, 
Pam Miller for the nursery, Joanna Miller for kids ministry. Right now it's Jesse Skelton because Chet's uh, with Andrea as their baby's coming whenever, right? Jesse Skelton, how you can serve with music, groups, how you can serve with groups. I mean, we need to be asking, how can we help? How can we serve? As this virus goes on, how can we help? Neighborhood, how can we help? Friends, how can we help? Coworkers, and we just need to do it. Because really, it's not a matter of how, it's a matter of will. We know how to serve. If you ask, seek, and pray enough, there will come an opportunity. It's not like there's a lack of needs in our world. I don't know if you've noticed. Oh, there's plenty to do, my friend. But the question is, will we serve? I hope we will, and I know we will, because I know you, and I love you, and I praise God for you, because by God's grace, I think we are a church, by God's grace only, that does have a heart for service to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to pray, sing three songs, and worship the God who served us. Jesus, thank you for serving us. We praise you for that. All, all, all these years, Lord, some of us more than others, but for however long we've been alive, every year you serve us, every day, every moment. You service this morning. You got. You have more that you've done for us than we could ever praise you for. And I just pray that that would be stirred in us and that we would start to care, we would start to love, and that we continue to care, continue to love those around us. And that I don't care, Lord, if, if people think, hey, Griggs was a great church or Griggs was a, a, a fun church or an interesting church or a cool church. I just hope that people, when we're done here, go, they served as a church. And that if we were to go, if we were to shut down, that they would miss us because so much of the service would be cut off as well. I pray that that would be our impact. Help us to think, to think, what would it be like if we all contributed like we do? I pray that we'd be able to answer that question boldly, change our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.